Hello everyone, it's great to be with you in Stranraer this evening. I uh, just hope in sharing my story I can bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, My story begins um, not in Northern Ireland, actually in Newcastle in England. Maybe I should admit that, being in Scotland, <laughs> apologies. But yeah, it's actually, you have the time bridge of Newcastle on one side, Gateshead on the other. I was actually born in Gateshead. Um, I always say Gateshead because, or Newcastle, because nobody really knows where Gateshead is. I was actually born in the same hospital as Gaza. Um, that's my claim to fame. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but anyway. My parents met in Jersey. They moved to London in the early 1970s, and um, that's where I came along in 1975. Um, my mum was raised a Roman Catholic in England, um, and my dad was raised a Protestant in Enniskillen. Um, they weren't believers, but there was no... I'd never really recalled in the early years of Newcastle ever hearing about God or faith or Jesus or anything like that. Um, my life, religion to me, was football. Newcastle United was the religion of my life, and for most boys in my area, it was all about football. And if you had asked me anything about the devil or enemies, I would have said Sunderland Football Club. You know, it wouldn't have been the devil. So yeah, I had a happy childhood in Newcastle. You know, enjoyed my time there. Um, really good at primary school. We lived in a big housing estate or a scheme, you would probably say. So you know, it wasn't a lot of money. Very working class family. Um, then my dad was out of work in the 80s, early 80s, a bit like Scotland, uh, the coal, all the coal closed down and the shipyards, was mass unemployment. So my parents shocked me when I was 11 years of age and said, oh, we're going to be moving to Enniskillen. And that was a big shock coming from a city area, moving to Enniskillen. And I suppose when I moved to Enniskillen, I, was, I think I was 11, 12 years of age, it was my first introduction to religion or maybe sectarianism, I don't know which one it was. I was asked. The very first time I went out to play in this big new housing estate was I a Catholic. He used a derogatory term for it, which I'm not going to repeat here, and I didn't know. I didn't know what he was talking about. So I ran into my dad and I says, Dad, am I whatever this guy said? He says, Don't be using that term and he says, But you you'll be going to the local Protestant school, the same school that I went in. All right, fair enough. And it really confused me. That little boy wouldn't have played with me if I was a Catholic. I could understand if he wouldn't play with me if I was a Sunderland fan, but in my mind, it was like football, but why would you not play with me if I was... Yeah, so it was very strange, and that was my introduction to Northern Ireland and sectarianism, but I had a happy child, and it took me a while to settle, but I really enjoyed time in Northern Ireland as a kid, and my parents sent me to the local Salvation Army when I was about 12, 13, 14, and that's the first introduction to the Gospel, and that never left me. I heard about Jesus for the first time and God and the Bible and that struck a chord with me and I did believe it but it was never I think what would you call a saving faith I, I believed those things but there was other things in my life I was going to Sunday school for an hour a week and then I was in the world the rest of the week my parents never taught me anything at home but I did believe the things of the Bible and that all changed but when I was about 14 15 years of age I was doing really well at school, but I had an obsession with music and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. My dad had this massive record collection and I started listening to all his music. And I got a book out of the library as a kid and it was about the summer of love. And that something struck a chord in me, reading about these psychedelic drugs and love. And, and I thought, is that the answer? And, you know, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And when I was 14, I didn't realize I was chosen a way that could have led to death. A friend had a big bag of magic mushrooms, and he says, do you want to take some of these? And 
I ignored my parents, my Sunday school teachers and my school teachers. I knew what the right thing to do was to say, no, I'm going home. But I just got stuck into him and another fellow with that bag of magic mushrooms. And I had an amazing night that night, high on LSD. But I would say the next day, my personality completely changed overnight. I met a teacher years later in Asda. And she says to me, Trevor, you were really happy at school, a happy-go-lucky child, but something changed. You changed. What happened? And it was taking LSD. I became this rebellious person then and anti-authority and thinking you knew it all as a teenager. And I just became obsessed with getting more LSD, magic mushrooms and music and partying and living for the weekends. Completely forgot about God and all the stuff in Sunday school. And my personality just changed. Thought I knew it all like all teenagers do. And I just wanted to party all the time. Forgot about drugs. Really got heavily into LSD and Pink Floyd and different bands. And I had a really bad LSD trip one night. I took quite a bit of it. And I thought I was dying. And there was blood running down the walls. And I heard this voice in my head to go and get a knife. And I, was, I woke my brother because I was really scared. And I said, Dan, help me. I'm going to do something silly myself. I wanted him just to look after me that night. But he went and woke the whole house and told my mother. So there I was, four in the morning with my mum, you know, and it was all crazy. But I told her, like as you do when you're in sin, I told her a lie and told that somebody had spiked my drink. You know, but that was the start. LSD was beginning. I was taking quite a bit of it. My mind was beginning to cave into that. I was so paranoid. But instead of giving up drugs and LSD, I decided to move to ecstasy because the rave culture was just hitting Enniskillen in the early 90s. And I'm not going to tur turn, turn around here and say, you know, it was terrible. The first ecstasy tablet I took, I had probably one of the best nights of my life. It was Roman Catholics and Protestants jumping around in a nightclub. This is brilliant. And thought this was great. This is the answer to the troubles. Guys from different areas all getting on and thinking, this is brilliant. But the problem I had was like, I left school with no qualifications. I failed all my... GCSEs because of the drugs and just wanting to party. And so I had a problem. I needed ecstasy was £15 a tablet. Getting into nightclubs was expensive. So I had an option. I was either become a drug dealer or get a job. But I was never very hard at school. And I knew that my friend had just done a bit of time because for selling ecstasy. And he was telling me about that. And I knew becoming a drug dealer wasn't an option for me. I was too soft. You need to be an enforcer to get money and things like that. And I thought, there's no way I could do that. So I decided I'm going to have to get a job. And that's what I did. I got a job at a local factory, which I absolutely hated. Um, the buzzer used to go off on a Monday morning at 8 o'clock and you'd been taking access all weekend. And you were doing this job, was the drilling, making plugs and putting screws in the end of plugs and repeating that all day from 8 to 5, Monday to Thursday. And I remember thinking, there must be more to life than this. But I needed money for drugs. So I kept partying, I worked there for a couple of years, and I was a working class kid, but I started to know in the drug scene other kids and different ones from schools partying, and I met these guys coming back from university, and they were middle class kids, and they were saying, ah, we're over at Liverpool, Manchester, Newcastle, and we're partying away, doing all these drugs, and I thought, why am I not doing that? I knew I was smart at school, and I'd messed it all up, and I thought, there's these kids, going to go on in life and get, get somewhere and here's me just messing about in the factory. So I went into the local uh, university or the college and I said, how am I going to get to university? She says, Trevor, you've no GCSEs, you're not going to go anywhere. She says, repeat your English and maths and do an NVQ and you'll maybe get there. And that's what I did. 
that factory stood me in such good stead. All the guys who were in my year, most of them, we were going to nightclubs. I was nearly the only one that finished that course. All them guys dropped out I was taking drugs with. You know what kept me going? That buzzer in the factory. Knowing if I didn't put my assignment in, I'd end up back in the factory. So I just did the bare minimum at college. I would, as soon as I got the assignment, I would get it done, do the bare minimum to pass. So I was living for the evenings and the weekends. And it was during that time in my first year of college, um, the scripture says, be sober-minded, be watchful. You're the adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I was easy prey for the devil at that time. Partying for the weekend. I was coming down of ecstasy one night and somebody handed me a joint. And all I can describe is cannabis. It was like putting my hand into a nice warm glove. And I just thought, this is my drug. This is perfect. And I just loved it from the first joint I smoked. All I wanted to do after that was smoke joints, take ecstasy and LSD. Now somebody once described to me, he said, drugs is like, I don't know if any of you ever go fishing. You go fishing, you get a hook and you put a worm on the hook. You put the hook out, the fish is nibbling in the way at the worm, but it doesn't see the hook. And drugs are a bit like that. The first time I took drugs, I had some of the best nights of my life, met some amazing people. And you're thinking, this, these drugs are grand. What was my Sunday school teacher talking about? What was my mum talking about? Drugs are brilliant. But you're nibbling away on that worm and you don't see the hook. And it can be, it was 10, 15 years later before the hook had me. It was only when I couldn't get cannabis or was going to a nightclub and I couldn't get ecstasy. You begin to realise, I have a problem here. I can't relax without cannabis. I'm really irritable and drugs had a hold on me. And the strange thing with drugs is, it really is like Russian roulette. I took ecstasy and LSD before I took cannabis. And I could take or leave LSD. And I've met friends who could take or leave cocaine. But some people, some of the guys, the first two guys I took magic mushrooms, I never took drugs with them again. They just stopped taking drugs altogether, my grand. Then I have a friend who we used to take a lot of LSD with. He had his first drink and he became an alcoholic for the next 20 years. And then there's other friends I know, they took prescription drugs and they were hooked. And another girl I knew took LSD once and she had underlying um, medical issues and she's still in a mental hospital this day. So I just want to say to you young folk, you see people taking drugs and they say it's great, but it really is, you don't know. It's like sin will pull and morphs into different areas and it could pull you into any direction. And my friend who I used to buy ecstasy off, he used to always mock people who drank alcohol. But as the drug scene weared off, he then got into the pints and he drank himself to death then, after being this man who hated ecstasy. It just, so sin just morphs in many directions. So I did my three years in Fermanagh at the local college, at the business studies, partying heavily at the weekends and smoking cannabis wherever I could, just doing enough to get my business studies degree and managed to pass that. And the lecturers were all saying, well, where do you want to go? And what do you want to study? And the bright kids in the class would say, well, I want to go here because it's a really good course and I can do this and that. But the two criteria for me going anywhere was drugs and football. And there was only one place I was going to go for drugs and football, and that was to go in Newcastle. So I could go and watch the two things in my life, the two idols in my life were football and drugs. And that's what I did. I went over to Newcastle and I just partied over there again, doing the bare minimum at college, just so I could live for the weekend and get drugs. And I used to come back to Belfast the odd time, and it was before the whole 9-11 stuff, and you used to be able to get drugs and put them in your shoes, so you could bring me drugs back to my friends in Ellis Gill, and we could be 
partying and then coming back to Belfast or from Newcastle to Belfast then somebody used to put a Bible verse up on the wall in the bus drive in and I used to hate seeing it to enter the kingdom of heaven you must be born again and I used to hate seeing that I'd be high on drugs and I'd be getting on the plane and I didn't like flying and I'd sometimes say a prayer to myself in a hypocritical way and I'd always ask the Lord you know I would apologize for praying when I was high but I used to say a wee prayer and you know if you had asked me that time Trevor do you believe in God I would have said absolutely I didn't have enough faith to be an atheist I knew that the world couldn't create itself I knew there was a designer if you had said to me at that point Trevor do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God I would have said absolutely I believed in the life death and resurrection of Jesus I knew all the prophecies that pointed forward to all his life and that was just impossible that the Bible fulfilled all those things if you had said Trevor do you believe the Bible is the Word of God on that flight I would have said absolutely but you see everything I believed the devil believes that too the devil knows Jesus is the Son of God the devil believes the word Bible is the Word of God it says in James that the demons believe and shudder you see Jesus was not the Lord of my life and I wasn't prepared to make Jesus my Lord Peter says in your hearts and honor Christ as Lord I didn't want to make Christ the Lord of my life you know why I was serving another master back then I was serving myself and the drugs and the football that was the two big things the idol in my life I wasn't prepared to turn from that and turn to Christ and you know I've met people and they've said to me Trevor oh, if that plane had went down that day you deserve to go to hell you were a druggie and I'll say I wouldn't have went to hell because it was a druggie I would have went to hell because of sin sin is the thing that separates us from God and people who usually say that about druggies and if you ask them well have you ever told a lie have you ever stolen anything we're all guilty before God because we've all broken God's law people want to say all oh, those druggies but ultimately we're all going to have to answer to God you know for every sin and sin is what separates us from God Romans says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you'll be saved I wasn't prepared to do that I wasn't prepared to confess in my mouth you know why I was worried what my mates would think you sit in party smoking drugs and taking ease and you're slagging everybody off having a laugh and you didn't want to be the person to turn around and say yeah I'm going to church now I'm gonna stand with Christ I wasn't prepared to do that because ultimately I was a coward I knew the truth but I denied it because I was afraid what my mates would think so I kept on partying in Newcastle for four or five years um, started to dabble a bit with cocaine ecstasy was always on the agenda but it was mainly cannabis was the thing that I loved doing especially around Christmas time getting a big bag just spending hundreds of pounds a big bag of it and just sitting for two weeks solid and not going anywhere and just smoking the head of yourself and that's what I love doing every Christmas just going nowhere two weeks flat out smoking and that was just what I wanted to do but things went a bit pear-shaped in Newcastle um, friends started to move away and had a couple of bad experiences and I said I'm gonna go back to Enniskillen for a while um, went back to Enniskillen I managed to apply for the job in the civil service because I had my business studies degree and actually got this job I was quite surprised and there's not a lot of work in Fermanagh and if you do get a good job as you know you, um, you don't leave um, but I had this good job had a good car a flat bought a house but I was really empty and depressed and no direction in life and I just kept thinking you know is this it is this what life's all about 
But it was around this stage, I was in my early 30s, and I had my first panic attack. I'd been smoking drugs since I was about, or taking drugs since I was about 14, 15, and I'd been over 15 years, pretty solid now, and I'll never forget it. I was in Weatherspoons one time, we'd be taking loads of drugs the night before, and the next morning I was sober, and I was in Weatherspoons ordering a drink, and then this panic attack came on me, and I was so scared. I just kept thinking, I need to go to hospital, I am dying. And I remember telling my friend, and he just goes, sort yourself out, and get the toilet, get some water around your face, but I knew there was something, it was pure fear, and it was really, really scary, scary experience. And that started to happen more and more. I wanted to keep smoking drugs, but I kept having these panic attacks, and they became more and more regular. So I started taking tramadol and diazepam to try and slow myself down. I wanted to give up the drugs, but the big thing in my life was the Friday night after a week at work, trying to um, get through the Friday night without smoking a joint. For some people it's a glass of wine, a movie. I just couldn't get past the Friday night without smoking a joint. I'd try and before I'd know it, I'd be around my friend's house trying to buy drugs or driving the local drug dealer. And there was one time I went to Newcastle and very, very scary experience. We're taking lots of cocaine and smoking and I had a busting headache and a friend said to me, here, take this anodin for your headache. And I says, grand. But little did I know, he was playing a joke on me. He was giving me a tablet that they give to people in mental institutions to shut them down when they go mad. And I'd been taking drugs that would make me go up and this drug made me go down. And I remember going up to the bed of a night and thinking, I need an ambulance, and trying to get up to move, and I couldn't actually move off the bed, and I was just solid, and my heart was going up, and my heart was going down, and I knew I was in trouble that night, and that's, I prayed that night, and I said, Lord, please get me through this. If you get me through this, I'll serve you. And I just remember waking up the next morning, and I seen all the cocaine on the top of the TV, and I remember thinking, oh, I'm not taking any of that, and I remember sweeping it aside. I had a real urge then for a joint, and that's what I did. I went down the stairs and just smoked a joint and just forgot about God again. But something clicked in my head that night. I remember thinking, you don't mess about with God. And I thought, I'm gonna have to get right with God. But the big thing was, I remembered all the stuff from Sunday school was going out of my head. But the Bible, it just sums it up lovely. It says, the fear of man lays a trap. So worried about what your mates think. If I tell them, I'm going to church. If I tell him I've become a Christian, he's gone soft. He's lost his head. You're going to be the butt of everybody's jokes. And that, for about two years, I was just living in a world of thinking about becoming a Christian. And a mental anguish raging in my head. And I remember taking cannabis one night. It was a Friday night. And I had a huge panic attack. And I jumped in the car. It was about two or three in the morning. And I was driving around to my mother. If you ever think you're dying, who do you want to be with? I wanted to be with my mother. And I thought, I'm just going to go in. And I just wanted to be held because I kept thinking I was dying. And I remember knock, about knocking the door and thought, two in the morning, you're going to scare the life out of your mother. Tell, you're high on drugs and you're saying, Mom, give me a cuddle. She said, what are you doing? Gonna, you'd end up scaring her, but you'd end up... But I just was losing my mind. And the doctor told me a lot long after this, you're probably beginning to suffer from cannabis psychosis because you've been just smoking it constantly for so long and not giving your body a break. 
And the scripture says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And I didn't realize the date, but it was 12 years ago today, this very day on the 17th of April, I was actually driving to work, maybe to interview people in Dublin. And my head was absolutely melted. And I remember just calling out, God, if you're there, please change me. Please change me. I was just had enough of life. And it's strange, but I did, I felt different. Something just changed in me that night. And I just had a desire to go to church. And I had a desire to read my Bible. But I was really, really paranoid about finding a church. I had this thing about people in suits. If I walked into a church and they're sitting down and them looking around saying, what's that stoner doing here? He's that boy, he does this and he does that. And, and it had a big, I was suffering from paranoia and anxiety and I didn't want big crowds either. So the two things I was worried about was people in suits and big crowds. So what does God do? There was a go team I didn't realize, dropping leaflets through all the doors in Enniskillen. And they had this little brochure and it showed the picture of the room they were meeting in. And I'd been in that room a couple of weeks before with work and I knew it was a small room. So mine was thinking, can't be many people in that room because it doesn't hold a mind. And then it, the leaflet began to show some of the people who met there and a little bio about them and none of them were wearing suits. And it was as if to say the two things I was worried about were knocked straight down and I thought I have to go to church. And I always say to people, if somebody walks into your church and you don't know them, don't look at them and say, whisper whatever, go over, shake their hand, how's it going? Because I'm telling you, from an unchurched background, it's so hard to walk over the threshold of a church. I, it took me weeks to work up to going to church. A couple of times I pulled up and then drove home. I just couldn't face going in. But I was met at the door, somebody shook my hand, and the scriptures say, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I heard my first sermon and I thought, this is it. I have been searching all my life looking at drugs and things but this is it this is the truth i just knew straight away this is the truth jesus is truth i am the way of the truth and the life and i had a real hunger for god's word and memorizing scripture and a pastor a few months later came along to our church robert mccollum professor robert mccollum and he preached a sermon holy holy is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory it was the first time I realized who God really was. In my mind, taking drugs all these years, God was a littlest figure who sat on a cloud and would just turn a blind eye to sin. I realized when I, uh, he preached on Isaiah that God is holy and he cannot look upon sin. And I went home that day and I just got again on the side of my bed and just cried and prayed to the Lord and thanked him for saving me. People always say to me, Trevor, what about the drugs? How did you get past a Friday night? Do you know, it was only about three months into kind of coming to faith. I thought to myself, how have I got past a Friday night? I'd actually forgot about the drugs and the smoking. And scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. The old Trevor Wills was dead. And that desire for cannabis just left me. And I had new desires. I had a desire to read the Bible. I had a desire to go to church. And how I know, it's very subjective that God is true, because I used to swear a lot too. And I was asked, invited my pastor to play football with me on a football pitch, and it was a swore, and I just stopped running and stood there and thought, you used to swear all the time, Trevor. That's the first time you swore in the Christian. 
And it was like, why did you swear? And it was as if the Spirit of God was just revealing truth to me. And that's how I know the Scriptures are true, because it happened to me. From being a foul-mouthed dope smoker, I just changed practically overnight. Scripture says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. And that's what I try to do. I do fail and I struggle. But you know, the church were brilliant to me. I lost a lot of friends when I started taking... When you're smoking drugs and taking drugs and you're all of a sudden starting to read your Bible and go to church. There's not many people knocking at your door and wanting to come in anymore, you know. But I was so thankful of the church. They became my friends. But you know, I initially didn't want, initially didn't want to tell people about Jesus because the paranoia was still there and the anxiety. And I started to tell lies to myself. Trevor, your faith is very personal. You just need to live and tell nobody. Go to your church, go to your work and tell nobody. And I was sitting on the sofa one night and I read this. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. I knew that I had to tell people about Jesus, but I was really, really paranoid about doing it and anxious about doing it. I lost, well, some friends, made other brilliant friends from the church. But you know, C.H. Spurgeon says you're either a missionary or an imposter. When I read that, I thought, I can't be an imposter. I have to tell Jesus. He saved me. He gave his life for me. I have to tell people about him. And you know, I did. I can't save anybody, but I can plant seeds. You can tell people about Christ. And one of my friends... I shared the gospel with my old drug dealer in um, Newcastle, Mad Mick, and he said to me, Trevor, that is foolishness that one man died for your sins. And you know what? That really strengthened my faith. You know why? Because I shared this with him. It's, the scriptures say that it's foolishness. The scripture is foolishness. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Do you know? People will laugh, and it is foolish just to some people, but it's the truth, and some people get saved. So all you can do is plant seeds, tell people about Christ. People may laugh, but who cares? They'll have to stand before God and give an account for their own lives. But when you lose friends and you get to a certain age, what I wanted more than anything was a godly wife. And wanting to go to church. Our church was quite small, but when you're not going to the pub anymore and you're not drinking and mixed in certain circles, I thought, how am I going to meet a wife? But I left it in God's hands. I was always a selfish individual, buying bags of cannabis, serving yourself, wanting to do your own thing. And uh, I was asked to go on a mission trip to Zambia and I thought, yeah, I should do that. I should go and actually give something back and help people. Not to get to heaven or good works, it was just a good thing to do. And on the mission trip, trip that's where I um, well, I knew she was going to be my wife, but she didn't at the time. I asked her, and she says, ask me again a while, and I did. And she said, yes. And the scriptures say, you know, take delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know, he was really good to me when he gave me Elizabeth. She's such a blessing. Somebody who brought up in a Christian home, and, you know, her life was a world away from me, but she's been a tremendous blessing. And I thought when I became a Christian, life is going to be really, it was so brilliant the first few years. This guy is going to be great. I soon to James earlier, and I thought there's going to be no more trials. This is just going to be great. It's so easy being a Christian. It's brilliant. I lost some of my friends, but I made new friends. But we live in a fallen world, and Christians still go through trials and difficult times. And, you know, 
we were only married a year when got a wee in my head I was going to get the little scan of the baby and then go around and see my mum and say yeah you're going to be a granny and all this is going to be brilliant and send the doctor after the scan I remember she says oh you better go and get another doctor and scanning the baby and he says oh there's a problem here Mr Wills and it turns out the baby had Turner syndrome which is like a fatal fetal abnormality and your whole your whole world falls apart when that happens, you know, and it's just, it was a very, very dark time that day in the hospital, and I'll never forget it. But I mentioned there about memorising scripture. That day in the hospital, I had, used to be 60 cards, Navigator. I memorised all 60 of them, and I had them all in my head, and I just memorised scripture. And it was nearly like an audible voice in my head. My wife was sitting crying, and the doctors were saying, we'll give you a bit of space. And Galatians 2.20 came to my head, just out of nowhere. And I could just, I probably didn't hear it, but it was like, I felt like I heard it. And that verse says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And from being in a, a room of darkness, I was able to walk over to my wife after that verse. The old Trevor, you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to run out of there and smoke a joint and have pints and just forget it all. And that's what you do. I have a friend who's an alcoholic and he's off the drink now. When you're taking drink or drugs, you sometimes you look for an excuse to, he used to say, poor me, poor me, pour me another drink. And you get into that mindset, I'm going through a bad time. I deserve a drink, I deserve drugs. And that's what I felt like doing, running out of there and getting high. But the entrance of God's word brings light. And that's what it did. It gave me the strength to put my hand, arm around my wife and say, we'll get through this. And the doctors were starting to say things like, you know, we can manage this situation. You know, in other words, we'll abort this child for you and you can forget about it. It's not real life. They didn't say that, but I just got the impression, you know, we'll, we'll manage the situation. I turned around to the guy and I said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I says, this child, I'll not be taking its life. We're going to see this through the end. And that's what we did. On the 29th of May, 2014, my daughter born and died on the same day. And my friend said to me, Trevor, did that not affect your faith? And I says, yes, it did. It actually made it stronger. Scripture says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Do you know when you run along in your Christian life and things are going good, you maybe miss your old Bible reading or your whatever, it's see when you're actually in the, the flames and going through it, God is so good to you and he carries you, he keeps you. It says in my daughter's grave, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We called her faith because I have a faith and assurance. I'll see her one day and what a blessing that will be. Not only will I see Jesus Christ face to face, but I'll get to see my daughter. And that will be a, a blessing. And God was good to us not long after that. We, well, three years after that, we had another son. And do you know my son Isaac? The doctor says he's going to be born early June. And all through the, the pregnancy, I'd never done as much praying. But this verse kept popping up in my head. Um, I can't remember it now. <laughs> It'll come to me. Yeah. But 
basically Isaac was born. No, sorry, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That verse kept coming up. And I said to Elizabeth, I think Isaac's going to be born the day after Faith's birthday. I just know no, the doctor thinks it will be early June. And I said, I don't know, Elizabeth. And I was right. <laughs> Isaac was born the day after Faith. And Isaac means laughter, for anybody who doesn't know. It's going to be joy if it was a girl and la Isaac for a boy. Because um, we had wanted laughter. A time of sadness, our house was filled with joy and laughter. And it was God in his goodness give us a baby. And then not long after that, another wee man, Joshua. And I just want to remind you all, folks, you know, you might see Stephen three hours a week, an hour in the morning, Sunday morning, hour in the evening, and your Bible study. It's not enough. Get stuck into your Bible. When I came to Christian, I memorized scripture. I kept reading scripture, listened to things on YouTube, and I'm so glad I did, because that day in the hospital, the Lord just brought that to me, back to my mind. I want to share a verse with you. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. If I hadn't took the time to learn them scriptures, it says here, bring to remembrance. Remember things, you have to learn things. So get stuck into the scripture, learn the scripture. I was so glad that day in that hospital I did that. I didn't go out there and drink and take drugs. I was able to put my arm around my wife. Your word is a light to my feet and a light to my path. Scripture brings you through dark times and gives you light. I just want to finish by saying, you know, being a Christian isn't easy. Jesus said, count the cost of following him. Do you know, anybody who's took drunk or drink, dr drugs, it's easy rolling up a joint and getting high. It's easy ringing up a drug dealer and saying, can you give me drugs? It's so easy to get drugs nowadays. But it takes courage to follow Jesus Christ. Do you know, I was taking drugs for 20 years. I started when I was 15 and I finished when I was 35. And I never had peace in my life. The first time I took ecstasy, I had an amazing time in LSD. But after that, you're always chasing. It's never as good as the first time and you're always looking for more. And you're, you're searching for something, you're never going to get it. But when you become a Christian, you, you have peace. Do you know, I used to go to bed at night and I used to always be thinking about death. And I knew I wasn't right with God. And I'd be always afraid of what would happen if I died. I can put my head on my pillow of a night tonight. And it's so nice just knowing my sins are forgiven and I'm right with God. See, the devil can give you many things. He can give you entertainment, drugs, drink, money, family, whatever it is. But he cannot give you peace. Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. See, that, that's priceless. No drug could ever give you, give you that. I finally have rest for my soul, which I never had taken drugs. You'll never have rest for your soul taking drugs. And I just want to finish by saying, from Psalm 40, I love this psalm, it's my favourite psalm. Every time I sing it, I just think of that time where I was anxious and depressed this is about a man who's in a pit and there seems no way out of the pit and there's only the way out of the pit is the Lord lift him out of the pit and if there's anyone here tonight is still in a pit of destruction it might be from drugs or whatever it is the Lord can take you he'll take you as you are
but he'll not leave you as you are and he can pull you out of any situation a dark pit and put your feet on a rock that is Jesus Christ Psalm 40 says I waited patiently for the Lord he inclined to me and heard my cry he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure that was me just trapped in a little pit of my own making with anxiety and depression and he pulled me out and what does he do he put a new song in my mouth a song to praise our God many will see and fear and put their trust in the God in, in the Lord that's what he does he makes your feet secure yes you'll go through trials you'll go through troubles but there's, there's no other way Jesus is who he is says he is the way the truth and the life so thank you for listening folks God bless